and welcome to Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. My name is Caitlin, and if I was trapped in a gothic romance, my family curse would be that all of us had blood made of lava. <laughs> it would be a very short story. All right. Um, I'm Cameron, and my family is cursed with vampirism. I mean, would be cursed with vampirism. <laughs> um, I'm Kristen, and... If I were in a gothic romance, my family curse would be that none of us were taller than 5'5". Five five. And I'm Lyndall, and if I was in a gothic romance, my curse would be that we were immortal until we fell in love. Ooh. Ooh. Yours is a true curse for a gothic romance. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> a big welcome to Lyndall Clipstone, the author of Lake's Edge, a gothic romance that just released in September. Tell us about your book. So my book is a gothic romance about a girl called Violetta Graceling who goes to stay at Lake Sedge Estate with the monster of Lake Sedge. And when she falls in love with him and discovers that he's cursed, she decides to team up with the Lord of the Dead to try and save him. Awesome. And it is a wonderful read, especially if you love those kinds of elements. It's super fun. So what we're going to talk about, actually, is something that we've never done on the show before, which is we're going to talk about how to write gothic romance. I am not super familiar with the genre. Like, I've read Jane Eyre and other things like that, but I haven't read a lot now. So tell us about what gothic romance is, would you? Okay. Um. So I think it's one of those questions where it's a bit like, how long is a piece of string? Because obviously there's like a classic kind of element to it um with like the traditional ones that everybody always brings up like Jane Eyre, Wuthering Heights, um Nathaniel Abbey um so but to me gothic romance is like I write it it's probably more of a like a modern kind of dark fantasy that draws on a lot of elements from those classical gothic things gothic to me is kind of very like claustrophobic visceral intimate kind of character driven narratives where like it's sort of small stakes small world really closed in setting and I mean I guess you can have the traditional things where it's like creepy house and you know mad person locked in the attic or something but I think you can definitely push that in different directions like you don't have to have this very formulaic elements to make it a gothic to me, it's more about the, I guess, like the intimacy of it, like the closedness of the actual stakes of the story, and the setting and the emotional kind of arc being predominant. So it fits really well with romance, especially because romance is such a character focused, like character driven kind of plot arc. Yeah, I, I feel like those traditional ones have like the, the dark castle and the girl in the white dress running away from it type of an image. Um, but I feel like I have, after you reminded us when we were putting stuff into our outline about some newer ones, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I have read some of those, like House of Salt and Sorrows, <laughs> which does feature a very scary manner and probably a girl in a white dress. But I didn't I didn't put it in that box, I guess, even though it's a very uh, claustrophobic, just like you were mentioning, a uh, character driven, scary stuff happening in the background type of a book. <laughs> Well, honestly, this is a genre that I haven't read a lot in, so I, I'm sort of just here to learn because I've read a lot of the old ones as an English major, but I haven't read a lot of the new ones. And so I guess my question would be like, where, where, does, it, where does the genre depart or like what makes it interesting or new today from like the old version? That, that might be a difficult question. <laughs> I think it's more about like taking kind of 
the traditional sort of things and then seeing what you can do with that and also like I guess when you're writing as like a modern author writing for a modern audience obviously you're coming to it with a different kind of viewpoint than somebody writing like a you know Jane Austen yeah. era time um, I mean like House of Salt and Stories was really cool because it sort of blended that fairy tale retelling genre as well and she kind of used like the ocean as the way of reinforcing the claustrophobia because they're on this like remote island and there was this big environmental kind of element of like the sea and the storms and yeah um, some of the other ones that I really love that I think do really unique things with a um uh between the devil and the deep blue sea by april tuchelk which is a contemporary dark fantasy but it's got a lot of those sort of classic elements there's like a big creepy house full of secrets and then this dark stranger that arrives into town and a girl running around in like beautiful aesthetic dresses and then there's strange grace by tessa Gratton, which is kind of gothic like forest gothic I guess so it's got this kind of like the village vibe where they're in this village on the edge of the woods and they have to give a tithe to the village but there's like a brooding like local lord who's harboring some secrets and yeah I don't know I think it's just about taking that kind of feeling of claustrophobia and character driven very atmospheric sort of setting and working it into like a, a newer kind of more fresh story I suppose so what you're saying is I definitely need to read these books because they all sound like things I would love so (laughs) I mean I really love gothic I love how there's become like more of a resurgence of gothic within like the past like you know like from I guess from like early 2019 with like House of Salt Mm -hmm. and Sorrows and things like that because when I was writing like such and querying it, I had a lot of people say to me, oh, this might be too much of a quiet book for like a big five publisher or like you might be too sort of slow or like, you know, like not high concept enough. And I feel like readers enjoy like those kind of, it's nice to have both. So I like how there's more of those sort of small space, small cast kind of books now. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting way of putting it. I wanted to ask, how is gothic romance different from gothic horror or just normal horror? I think there's a lot of crossover because they're, it's, they're all very kind of like intimate, visceral kind of narratives where a lot of the actors, action's character-driven and character-focused and very psychological-based elements, I guess, because, you know, like fear and love are both things that are sort of experienced within your body. I think it's probably like they're all kind of in the same kind of ballpark as well. And then there's like also like dark academia kind of crossover mm-hmm. as well. When you think of like books like Catherine House or A Lesson in Vengeance, they all kind of, they kind of sit, it's like they're kind of on the same bookshelf, I suppose, with like some of the same sort of elements. But I think horror romance is definitely a thing. Like, I mean, it's probably like less gothic and more kind of, over like supernatural thrillery body horror violence like I mean I when I was trying to think of examples I thought of like Wilder Girls or House of Hollow or Saw Kill Girls something like that mm-hmm. so the difference is mostly the setting then I think maybe the setting and also like the type of atmosphere and maybe like the way the character works, works as well like I mean, Wilder Girls has definitely got like a lot of that same sort of claustrophobia thing atmosphere, but it's probably more focused to be like more of a thriller kind of paced rather than like one sort of central like claustrophobic character kind of driven story. Well, I mean, historically, 
gothic romance was like one of the first books that had female writers writing female characters. I mean, maybe not the yeah. first. Yeah. So I feel like that's slower. This is in my head. That's a very female thing. And I, it's interesting that you're you're couching it that way now too, where you have gothic horror, which still has that. It's in my head. I'm processing. This is feelings. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think I don't know so much of it being like I guess like female gaze kind of thing is maybe one thing, or maybe more just the intimacy of it. Like, it's a very kind of. This is just to me anyway. Like, it's a very kind of intimate sort of story and intimate experience of horror. Um, intimate experience of the world of the book with like really atmospheric kind of setting where the setting almost becomes a character in the story as well so on like a technical level as an as a writer how do you go about crafting um a book that does that like what is the approach that you have to take for me I really love to lean into the atmosphere to kind of give like a really vivid sense of like all five senses experiencing in the scene so you know like how does it smell? How does it taste? All of those sort of things. Um, and constantly kind of drawing it back to like the emotional experience of the characters. So with every sort of big plot development, I'll always be asking like, how does the character feel now? You know, how does she feel about this? What's her like emotional response to whatever is happening in the story? So that's kind of one part for me is, I guess, keeping the focus on like the, the intimacy of it and the atmosphere. But I'm also like quite a visual, visually driven um, writer. So I take a lot of inspiration from film and trying to sort of imagine like a scene in my head where it's very cinematic and then working out how to get that kind of cinematic feeling onto the page is another kind of thing that I strive for. I feel like there's a lot of crossover, like you were saying earlier, Lyndall, about between romance and horror, because, I mean, really good romances are all about feelings and, like, transferring physical things onto the page and, like, everything that you're feeling. And, and that closeness is what gets people to read about it. And it's the same with horror. Like, the closer you are to it, I wrote in the outline this thing that we were at this conference a long time ago, and I've said this on the podcast before, that the closer you are to something... Uh, the more horrible it can be like and if you're far away uh, it can be like even comedic or whatever else like if you watch someone fall down the hill from far away and just hear like a comedic yell at the end it's funny but if you're with the person rolling down the hill and you hear bones crunch it's horror (laughs) and um, I feel like there's a lot of crossover with romance like you were saying like if you watch people kissing in the park from far away you can say ew that's gross and it's a middle grade novel but if you're the person who's (laughs) kissing the other person and you're feeling everything then that's romance right? I think there's probably like a similar type of suspensefulness too as well like I mean in horror or like you you know like you're hanging out to see like what the truth is at the end of all of this sort of experience or like how are you gonna come out of it and it's kind of the same with the romance arc where you know like the my favorite types of books are the ones where you're kind of reading it because it's got like a romance level pacing where like I need to see these characters you know I need to see the relationship be reach its whatever point it's going to be like I want them to kiss I want them to confess their feelings and I that's kind of the same feeling that I have when I'm watching like a horror film or reading like a thriller or a horror book as well where I really you know I want to see what is going to happen at the end of this build-up um so what uh kinds of things should authors attempting to write gothic romance look out for or avoid you mentioned there are some tropes 
uh, for one, that you don't necessarily have to get on board with. But I mean, in addition to that, are there other things as well? I think it's one of those things where, like, because it's such a classic genre, it's really easy to fall back onto the tropes, I think, where, you know, like, you're just kind of rewriting Jane Eyre or something. And, like, I mean, and you can rewrite Jane Eyre in, like, a really fresh way, obviously, like, within these Wicked Walls, which comes out in a couple of couple of weeks next week actually is like this really really cool ethiopian setting fantasy jaina retelling and she did an amazing job making it really fresh so that's like an example of like how to you know make it unique but i think it's kind of like if you're just one of those things where it's like all the elements of the gothic are there you know like the creepy house and the woman in the nightgown fleeing and the secrets and the sentient architecture but it's maybe like probably like with everything you write you know what is what is it that you're bringing to the story that makes it uniquely yours um rather than just you know a re a revision of an existing kind of structure I mean but you could probably say that with any kind of writing really (laughs) it's true you could give 10 different people the same prompt and they come up with different stories but they also might all be the same retelling of the same story so Exactly. I mean, yeah, like it's one of those things where like, I mean, think about some of like all of the fairy tales that have been retold over and over again and like the different sort of spins that people put on them. It's, it's always, it's like, it's sort of fun, I think, taking something that's really classic and seeing how you can twist it. Now um, we're going to move on to the next portion of the podcast. If you would like to check out the text of the submission that we read and see our notes, check on our website litservicepodcast.wixi.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. So a summary of today's submission is Lurin kills an ocean demon to provide for her village over the winter. What are the things that we liked about this submission? I really love the opening image. It was so evocative, like this sort of girl on the cliff, like stealing herself to dive into the deep water. It was so vivid and that was probably like that caught my attention immediately which is always lovely when you read a first chapter i really loved that too it's very visceral and i mean i can imagine how i would feel standing on the edge of a cliff yeah it was one of those things where like i immediately got this very like vivid picture of the scene in my head which is always really fun and the whole premise of like the gift and how Lauren could assign it but couldn't benefit from it directly was it was a really intriguing sort of setup it made me really look forward to sort of seeing how this was all going to play out over the story. Like you can tell she's going to do something drastic and there's so much space for like which direction it could go in. It was a really, really cool setup. I really liked, I think we're talking about this more later, but I really liked the addition of a curse to the makeup of this whole scene, right? You've got the dramatic standing on the cliffs like we've been talking about. And somehow to me, the, the fact that there's also a family curse involved was the extra spice that makes this feel different from anything else I've read before. Yeah, family curse is always so much fun too because again that adds like this really interesting premise of like what limitations is this going to set and how is the character going to get around the limitations and things like that. It definitely promises a lot of very intriguing things. And even the final line in the setup for like how the gift is destined for her ex-friend was such a good lead in to that. I felt, you know, there's just such a such a cool premise and so many ways to kind of keep you hooked and interested in seeing where the story would go. Yeah. I will probably circle back to this in the next part, but I think that right from the beginning, we've got some pretty interesting emotions going on with our action. And so it was enough of a question to me that I wanted to keep reading about like, why is she so, why 
is there so much anger associated with this? Why is it so bloodthirsty? It was very interesting. There's some nice lines, too. I really liked, if the ocean had a heartbeat, it would have stopped in anguish. And uh, Lauren was not one to hold her tongue and as a result became very good at holding her breath instead, which was really nice. I love it when people play with words like that. The writing was very lyrical and beautiful to read. Like I'm such a fan of that type of prose, so it was really, really lovely. What did we think might need a second look? I think I just wanted, like, this is real. I feel like I give this feedback to a lot of people in first chapters because it is a hard thing to capture. But I think there just needed to be, like, a bit of a clearer exposition around just the big picture elements of the story, which, as the author, you always have that in your head. And so it's such a challenge to get, like, what you know in your head onto the page. But I just, you know, just things like, who is Lauren? What does she want? What is the context here? Like, how is what she's doing today, like, different from every other day? And that whole sort of, like, why why are we here seeing her? And so the premise of the diving and the sacrifice and the creation of the gift with, like, was it done by a weaving, I mm-hmm. think? Like- that was, it was really cool, but I was just a little bit unclear about the logistics of it all. It was a lot of information to be introduced to in a first chapter, so... I feel like the first chapter for me is always like, let us just meet the character. Like I know one of my friends says like, this is like the last normal day of their life kind of thing. So like, it's a really good opportunity to introduce us to the character and just get a sense of who they are and what they want. And maybe enough of the exposition so that we're not completely like confused. But I think a lot of the deeper kind of explanations of things, you can always sort of slowly unpack those as the story progresses rather than trying to kind of dump it in all at once. I do I do also kind of feel like what exposition we did get was about the wrong things and it was in the wrong place. Like I believe like as she's diving into the water, the story literally just pauses and we get a really big fat paragraph of exposition about her past which somehow doesn't really manage to answer the, the the current pressing what does she want and why questions. Yeah, and I feel like a little bit of like dropped-in backstory is always nice when it's done in the right place, but I think probably the opening chapter is not where you want to, like, you know, you want to snag the reader and keep pulling them forward. You don't want them, we don't know enough about Lauren to really care about her past yet or want to know more about it. So like if you build up the mystery a bit more, then there's more reason for the reader to want to go back as yeah, well. I wanted, I wanted to know what was going to happen when she hit the water. Not backstory is stuff we're not going to want to know eventually. It's just it's like not, that's not what I wanted at that point. And unfortunately. And there's such this beautiful suspenseful moment that like, yeah, you're right. Like keeping it moving forward to see like what's going to happen next is, it's it's all there that's the thing like it's close it's more just a case of like rearranging things so it's giving us the information at the right time it feels almost like the opening to a comedy where something very dramatic happens and then it freezes and they're like let me rewind a few steps you know yeah (laughs) so it's not how i felt about it (laughs) which is not which it doesn't seem like that's the tone that that this piece is really going for so and actually on that that note about jumping into the water I realize that this is my personal taste in writing and so you guys can argue with me a lot if you want but I feel like the prose is extremely functional when it comes to uh the blocking and stuff it's very like it's very lyrical in some places but it doesn't actually describe what is happening like so I didn't know how she felt when she hit the water or like whether it was warm or cold or whether it was hard to get to this demon that she's killing. I just wanted more like, how does it feel to be down there? Like, how does it feel to be going after this demon when it felt like it was all very like, and then she went in the water and then she saw the demon and it was ugly. 
And then she killed it, and it was very sad. And the whole ocean mourned about it. But, like, it didn't quite... It, it wasn't a very, like... Uh, it wasn't a deep POV. And I, I realized that I like deep POV and that might not be what we're going for here. So what did you guys think? I mean, I'm always a big fan of deep POV as well. But it's funny because like that feedback that you said is like, I get that feedback from my editor quite often too, where she's like, this is really beautiful writing, but nothing's happening. And I'm like, listen, maybe we can just have 60 pages of Violetta walking around having feelings. Is that not okay? So I, I get that because like for me, like that's something that I kind of tend towards too. And I think maybe when you do have that kind of lyrical writing style, it's really easy to sort of fall into like the prose versus like the logistics. But yeah, I think like I sort of had a few moments where I noted as well, I was like, why is this happening? Why is she feeling like this? Like, why is she angry now? Like, what does this mean to her? So finding those sort of moments and digging in a bit more would really help, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I know I said that I really liked the emotion of the prose, but I wish that I had the context to like hook the emotion to. And that's really where I kept getting trips up because like Lindell and everyone else was saying, I felt like we got the wrong details or too many details that we didn't need. So it made it kind of cluttered and difficult to follow for me sometimes. So talking specifically about details I wish we had, my my principal complaint about the emotions that we did get was I wasn't sure what was her and what was the curse. I felt like I was getting the vibe that the curse had something to do with her bloodlust, but I wasn't sure i didn't yeah, know where the, the line thing was is that, like i think i had a note because i was like why is she so uncharacteristically bloodlusty so i think that was probably a case of you know you needing to get it from your head to the page a little bit more because until you mentioned that i wasn't even really sure there was a curse i'm like that is a really intriguing thing like this curse of like your feelings changing as you become like a hunter or well, see, i'm not but, i'm not even sure that that yeah. is it it might just be that she's like oh, I don't know. she's just you know a really gung-ho hunter who gets really into it when she's hunting or it could be that the moon is out and she goes into a blood frenzy because the moon's out i don't i don't know yeah, which one it is and i think that's, that, my, that's yeah. my biggest problem with the submission i think it was like a context thing and maybe it's one of those like what information does the reader need to get in this chapter for them to understand the story? Like, is there things that could be left out or left till later where, like, it will still make sense without, you know, like, yeah, it's like that thing where it's just about, like, the the first chapters of books are always the hardest for me, like, working out how to prioritize what information you give because there's so much that you have to introduce to the what like to the reader especially in like a fantasy world like doing all of that world building and exposition and trying to do it in like a nice organic kind of way but yeah i think like the pairing that down and giving like more context and giving more deep pov to sort of ground us with Lauren would probably help a lot i had just one more comment i love that we're linking into the next chapter by saying i have this magic i have to bestow on someone else even though i want to keep it for myself um, and I have to give it to this girl who I hate, who used to be my best friend. That is so cool. And I love it. That was such a cool setup I, for the next chapter. I love yeah, that too. I love it. I also wish that I'd had a little bit more context for it. Yeah, I wonder if like maybe there's a lot of time spent talking about her. Is that her grandmother? Yeah. Um, the lady with the... Yeah, I got the sense it was her grandmother. And I mean, I'm, I don't know, like it's, 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 I guess, a lot of flashback things, which I get like this sort of like the point of reference in her life. Like I think I my book has kind of a similar thing where that is often referring back to like her memories of her family. But maybe in like a chapter one, like if 
she's thinking more about like the what's ahead and like how the friend is going to impact like that sort of relationship that might be like more of a cool setup I don't know Thank you so much to this author for submitting your work. It was wonderful to read, and I'm really excited for what you do with it. I hope you'll keep us, uh, or you'll yeah, good luck with it. everything. Yeah. It was it was really lovely. I really enjoyed reading it. And thank you so much, Lyndall, for coming on the show. It was lovely to have you. Thank you for having me. Our uh, next guest will be Adrian Tooley, the author of Sweet and Bitter Magic, as well as uh, Sophie and the Bone Song, which comes out next year. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It takes a whole team of creatives to produce the show, and it's help from people like you that keep us going. You can find us at patreon.com slash litservicepodcast. There you can get early access to podcast episodes, video versions of the show, and occasional bonus content. Thanks to Chelsea Mortensen for doing all our social media. Please remember to like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast wherever you listen so others can find the show. From Caitlin, Cameron, Aaliyah, and Kristen, thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. <laughs>